today we are joined by Ico, gamification alchemist or uh, otherwise known as investor at Folius Ventures. Ico, how are you? Yeah, I'm so super good. Super exciting to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, Alex. Hey, Jekyll. Yeah. Um, yeah, pleasure to have you. Uh, so to start things off, um, we always like to know what our guests are playing at the moment. So what game has grabbed your attention? What games do you keep going back to? Yeah, I, I think for Web 2, I'm still playing Baldur's Gate 3. I've already put 60 hours on it, but I still haven't finished it yet. And for Web 3, on I was playing Guest Hero last week because they're hosting the beta test. And also there's an MMO called Metascene. I also played it a lot, like two or three hours per day. What, uh, what, what class or character did you pick for Baldur's Gate? I think that was the first game where I lost like three hours in the character creation screen. And usually I'm the guy that just zips through like Skyrim and it's like, all right, guy looks hilarious. Let's start the game. Yeah. Uh, I think the uh, for the first time I play the Yankee girl and the second time I just customize a like a alpha by, by, by myself and elf. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll get right into it then. Um, so since Web3 Rails has enabled developers to have a little bit more of a global reach, especially with capital formation and reaching out to funds globally across the board, um, we're curious, you know, has this shifted the scope of the types of games they design? So in other words, you know, are these games by design more global? Do they try to hit a variety of different markets? Or is this something that's a little bit more um, limited to just the capital formation stage and it doesn't really touch the game design side of things? Um, yeah, I think the game design is more global and they focus more on localization these days or like from five or six years ago. Because uh, the first reason is that uh, the Chinese market uh, is very uh, crowded right now and the like the government and the regulation is not so stable. Like they just stopped publishing any license uh, for, for several months and uh, redistribute it again. So the regulation is not stable in mainland China. If uh, if some gaming studio wants to publish in China, they have to take the risk. So a lot of gaming studios started to build game more like globalization or uh, they just design a game specifically for, for example, like Japan market or Korean market. So you can imagine that our style is just Japan anime style or like Final Fantasy kind of kind of thing. Yeah. So when you're looking at these different studios, are you looking for those specific markets? Like, is it, hey, you know, we at Folius are excited about the prospect of maybe a, a development team out of China building a Japanese type of game, right? Or is it more, hey, you know, we're looking for the quality developers and then you back into the specific market and it's more of a second secondary concern? Uh, so first of, we definitely looking at the global market. For example, we we just did an MMO deal recently, which called Metascene. And in the research of this deal, we we really looking at like uh, in recent five years, how about a gaming studio, like small gaming company in China publishing uh, MMO on mobile globally this year. So we found that a lot of um, 
players and users are coming from uh, Japan and Korea and uh, the U.S. Uh, so these are the uh, the player who pay the most and where the most player like contribute to the MAU and DAU. They coming from Southeast Asia, like Philippines, Vietnam, and also Turkey. So we think it's also it's it's very important to like uh, did research and see like how a kind of game including the, the gaming genre, the gameplay and art style uh, is acceptable, uh, is accepted in global market. So when you're when you're looking at games, you mentioned, hey, you've got maybe a certain segment of gamer out of Southeast Asia that helps with retention. But then you maybe have a little bit more higher LTV types of players that come out of different markets. When you're evaluating yeah. potential content deals or studios, is there an ideal sort of makeup of what that that ideal player base looks like? So in other words, do you have a certain percentage in mind of how many players will be the DAU, MAU, maybe a little bit more akin to the play to earn style of gamer? And then there's another percentage where it's a higher LTV, maybe competitive high spend gamer, or collectible gamer, whatever you want to call it. Or is it you're designing a game for one of these two different audiences? Um, Curious what what your take is there, and if it's not a bright line rule. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't really, I didn't really distinguish different kind of player types in Web two because in Web two, what we got the data just uh, like uh, how many users in a certain region, how many users in certain countries. There's no like signal or data to tell you like these players are just here to earn money or to grind. So we just um like. Mm, I think what's the most important for a Web3 game is that we can have a lot of DAU and cash flow from Web2. Like no matter people are here to earn money or no matter people like here to play, uh, the DAU will be a very good signal for like the financial market to value this project. For example, uh, if Axie Infinity launched a token like in the early of 2021 and there are like, uh, I heard there, uh, there are only several like hundreds of people playing the game at that time, but um, eventually they got, they got more and more users to play the, play the game. And when the bull market is coming in the, in the middle of 2021, the financial market will give the valuation to the token on the on the crypto market. I think this is um, like makes more sense for a gaming. Like, why a game needs more DAU from Web two world? And and is this is this an insight that you guys pulled from maybe existing portfolio companies? Or I'm curious how you guys kind of arrived at this. Um, you know, maybe it's thesis, maybe it's you know just market sort of validation of of what you guys thought. Or is this something where you were kind of um, a little bit more just receptive of market feedback and you're like, hey, we don't need to come up with the answer. We're going to just take the market as it as it gives us the information and then form theses a little bit more iteratively, iteratively out of that. Mm -hmm. um, I think, first of all, different teams and different uh gaming companies have their own thoughts about how to build a Web3 game. So they can choose like whether to build a game with uh, with very high DAU and TAM, or they can choose to build a very niche and Web3 native games, for example, like fully on-chain game today, right? So um, when we chat with the founders 
uh, first of all, uh, we will ask like their thoughts about how to build a Web3 game, how to uh, build a game that makes sense in Web3. So if they targeting like big TAM and big TAU, uh, that's good. And we will like implement uh, this kind of thesis in this kind of deal. But it's quite different if we are looking into fully on-chain game or Web3 native deals. So it sounds like you use the, the genre or the type of game to back into what sort of Web3 implementations make sense. Would you say that's that's kind of a fair way yes. to look at it? Yes, so because there, I, I, yeah. Uh, so are there certain genres that you're particularly excited about right now that maybe you think are relatively underexplored or a little bit more blue ocean opportunity that, that would have, you know, Web3 mm. implementations? Yeah, on... I think for me, uh, so first of all, genres that with very high temps and very um, accessible, like from a global market, for example, FPS or mobile, because uh, I think a lot of Western VC or Western funds bet a lot on uh, FPS or shooters on PC, but it's not the most easy way for global users to get hands on. So we invested Matrix, uh, which is FPS on mobile. And also uh, Medicine MMO, I've mentioned before. And also we uh, uh, did a deal called Metamajan. It's just the Chinese or Japanese kind of poker. And it targets very specific regions market. I think that's also fine. How uh, quite a few Web3 gaming projects, once they try to target, let's say, users in the US, there's a lot of pushback. Um, whereas... I think there's a common narrative going around now where Eastern or gamers within the East have less issue with Web3 Rails. And I'm curious as to your thoughts on how long this dynamic lasts um, and if, if it plays any considerable, uh, if it has any like major part in your decision making for investments. Mm, yeah, um, I agree with you on the like... Um, Eastern players have less issue than Western players to accept a Web3 game. Uh, I think the reason is mainly because uh, we we have a lot of monetization innovation and uh, in Western countries. For example, we have Gacha from Japan, and Gacha is eventually became bigger and bigger and. Uh, mobile games, especially when Genshin Impact is come out. Uh, Genshin Impact came out, like people just notice uh, the character is amazing, it's very beautiful. They just want to put money in a gacha again and again. So I think uh, players in Eastern have higher tolerance and monetization part. But uh, in my, uh, like it might be stereotype, but Western players, perhaps they are more like to play games on PS5 or Steam. Uh, the monetization is just not so nuanced and not so aggressive so that they will have more like issues or um, or how to say like uh, they, will, they will they will have issue to accept Web3 game. Yeah. And, and does that does that majorly impact how you talk to teams? Because I know, I guess rather anecdotally, that a lot of the Asian-based teams that I talk to want to leverage Web3 Rails to better target a Western audience or to like enter Western markets um, because they feel like Eastern markets are too saturated, perhaps. So like when, if a well, first, 
have you found like similar examples? And uh, secondly, what's your typical advice talking to teams that, that are trying to target the West with Web3 Rails? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good question because when, when I suggest the teams, if they are trying to target the EU and the US users, it's also very, very difficult at this time because the regulation in the US is a little bit tricky right now, like as you guys also know. Uh, so it's also difficult to just target US users. Uh, and on the other hand, like uh, Eastern regions, mm, or I say like players from Eastern region also uh, would like to spend a lot of money, would like to be well in like consuming apps. For example, like gacha games I've mentioned. And I noticed that the highest uh, ARP uh, for MMO and FPS actually from Japan. And I really believe that they have the spending power a lot in, uh, in Eastern countries. Yeah. I, I don't know how how fact-based your answer can be for this. But um, again, anecdotally, I know that despite the adverse regular um, regulations in China, a, there's still like a huge amount of Web3 money coming from the country. And like a lot of people just put on a VPN and, and will play Web3 games um, yeah. and farm airdrops and, and all that kind of stuff. How, like, what are some noticeable traits that you've noticed from Chinese users and is is targeting a Chinese user base for a game like a web3 game is that a viable option hmm. I think it's a viable option because you also uh, mentioned that they have VPN they can get many methods and approaches to uh, to get access to the game uh and also like there are a lot of well-known communities like chinese speaking communities they they also like to do the promotion or like get to onboard people to try the game to play the game so i think the uh, mm, it, it's easier to find the right person to do the promotion in chinese speaking community right now uh but the third one is um we still uh, not sure about how many players are playing blockchain game or Web3 game at this stage, because you can never know, you can never tell from the on-chain data, like which one is from China, which one is from Hong Kong or, or uh, any other regions from Eastern Asia. Um, so I think it's still a problem, but I'd say like Chinese speaking community is getting bigger and bigger um, right now. So is... Is it fair to say that it's maybe not geographically targeting China that's important, but more so uh, catering for a Chinese-speaking audience? Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Yeah. So I want to switch topics slightly um, yeah. and talk a bit about the Chinese developer community. So I think it's it's widely considered that China is a great market for both software and game developers. Uh, and this is largely due to the fact that 
the, the labor market is relatively low cost, but has high expertise. And, um, and part of that is due to like the really large amounts of competition from that, from that market. Um, historically that labor force has kind of taken an approach, um, where they will clone or identify certain key growth areas and then clone the, like within the context of gaming, they'll clone the core mechanics or loops, um, that they see, whether that be in Western audiences, uh, Western markets, or even Japan, Korea, etc. but then reiterate on the monetization and uh, live ops in order to achieve greater scale. And I'm curious, so over time, that then starts to evolve into Chinese labor force being able to output like really innovative uh, new angles, whether that be new loops or new monetization, etc. Where do you think gaming currently is in that cycle? And is it the same or any different for Web3? Hmm. Uh, let's uh let's answer the question uh, back to like twenty fifteen. Like, let's discuss some grassroots uh communities or grassroots developers first, because I really agree with you that some big companies they only uh what they only know is to just copy or clone the core gameplay or mechanism from other game it's not only like they clone a western country's game it's also like uh they also clone uh chinese uh companies game for example like aggie party and our, our aggie parties also clone other party game from eastern country uh it is cloned by tencent right now so it's just a clone and clone and clone uh let's uh, if we want to discuss innovation, we have to uh, get back to the grassroots uh, communities and developers. Um, back to 2015, like there are several like anime clubs or anime fans. Uh, they are really into anime, cartoon, and gaming. We call it like ACG. So these kind of people uh, started to build games by themselves, and they grew up into a publishing company like Ustar or Hypergraph. I'm not sure if you guys have heard about it, have heard about them, but they're pretty famous in Japan and China. Uh, the games, they publish like Arknights and, and Azerland. Um, and also Mihoyo is quite another story, like three teammates together and trying to build an, a gaming engine uh, in-house. So this kind of company uh, gradually grew up uh, and published some very cool anime games. So when I see, say the term anime games, it really refers to all the games have anime character and gacha monetization, no matter the gameplay, uh, what the gameplay is. Mm, so no matter what is a, no matter it is a tower defense or ARPG open war like Genshin Impact or just idle RPG like AFK Arena, uh, we all call it like anime games. So this kind of game uh, impact the global market a lot. And um, in this like anime culture soil really grow up a lot, uh, a lot of very famous company we know like Lidis and Mihoyo right now. So I think this is the very, um, 
very, very innovative trend happening in China in the past 10 years. I'm not sure if, if you guys want to hear about this. Yeah. Yeah, no, that it's super interesting. Is it is it fair to say then that like counter to my point just then, there is another group of like emerging teams and, and game developers that are taking a more innovative approach, but that's specifically because they have this like grassroots foundation. And mm. I'm curious, like how, how they compare to the larger incumbents. So, you know, when we talk about cloning, I think Tencent and NetEase are like the perfect examples, right? That they've turned into huge um, global businesses based on, on that model that I outlined previously. Um, but now you've kind of put a spotlight on some of the more innovative studios that had this grassroots community um, foundation. Where does it go from here? Do we see more of these grassroots developers pop up or is the market already saturated? Mm -hmm. And and where does Web3 come in? Is Are we going to see the same type of cycle um, with Web3 mm -hmm. developers or will it, is it more likely that um, companies like Mihoyo, Tencent will branch off and have their own Web3 division. Hmm. Yeah, I, I will just separate the question into several parts to answer it. Uh, so first of all, uh, when we when we say innovation, I just want to clarify uh, the gameplay innovation is very hard in history because in the past 10 years or 20 years, the very innovative and successful gameplay we can see is only like uh, Delta and LOL uh, and also PUBG and FPS. These are the gameplay innovation that uh, impact the whole gaming industry a lot in the past 20, 20 years. But it's also uh, it's it also means that it's very hard to just make innovation in gameplay, which means it's very meaningful to do innovation on monetization and also our style at this stage. So I think the innovation Chinese team or Chinese like uh, companies have is really to think about what kind of character and what kind of gaming story is attractive to users. Uh, this is what the innovation mostly on. For example, in Genshin Impact, like their character is uh, let me rephrase it. <laughs> I can't say it's better than like Japan gaming, but um, in Genshin Impact, we can see a lot of character that's very, very attractive to uh, global users and users or players have different tastes can find their favorite character in this game. Uh, it really means that uh, Chinese staffs and teams really put the innovation in the storyline character parts thing instead of just the purely uh, gameplay. And uh, I think how it will impact Web3, uh, we can think about the innovation more on uh, like monetization part, because uh, there's also a very, uh, a very uh, famous MMORPG called uh, Fantasy of Western World Journey in China. Uh, it lives like 20 years old and it's still the most profitable game in NetEase. So in this game, uh, people just uh, trade against each other. They have an auction house, they have marketplace, and uh, they have like half open economy. So I'd say Chinese devs or Chinese teams are really good at how to 
uh, manage the nuance gameplay and nuance in game economy cycle in their game uh, because they can just learn from the the old MMORPG from China. Is it is it fair to say that there might be more reasons to be excited by teams that are taking a grassroots approach to growth rather than teams that spin out of um you know tencent or netties hmm. i'd say grassroots uh developers always move faster than big companies because big companies always have a lot of concern about the regulation, about the governance, about the like old IP or their user base. Uh, so they have to move very cautiously and comparably uh, like slower than grassroots uh, developers. I wanted to go back to kind of this, this theme of innovation on the monetization side. So you know, I think Jackal brought up a couple of good points about how, and, and you did as well, Iko, of, um, you know, maybe gamers in different types of markets have a different type of proclivity to financialized games. And financialized games doesn't necessarily just mean Web3. It can mean, you know, gotcha, collectibles, etc. I'm curious, when, you, when you're looking at monetization coming out of, let's say, development teams out of China, is it more on the fungible token or the non-fungible side that you see more innovation. And I'm curious why you think it might be one or the other. And if it's across the board, you know, that's fine. But you've, you've, you've mentioned, given us some great examples of teams that have built, you know, half open economies, economies that have lasted, you know, 10 to 20 years, et cetera. So clearly there's some element of durable monetization in these types of games. And I'm curious how that sort of expertise can be transposed to, to games that, that, that use Web3 Rails or Web3 implementations. So um, yeah, curious what you're seeing and, and whether there's a certain kind of theme that you're seeing on the monetization side out of the devs that you've been chatting with recently. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, this also probably a stereotype, but... Uh... Yeah, first of all, I, I love like good teams and good games, no matter they're from Eastern country or Western country. But when I chatted with a lot of uh, Western founders, I think the, uh, the, the monetization will be very straightforward. Uh, for example, they will just uh, make uh, NFT tradable to make it like a uh, tradable and collectible cards for, for their users. This is also fine. But in, uh, West, uh, in Eastern countries, for example, like China, uh, there were, were a lot of know-how uh, to manage a open economy or have an open economy. For example, they will know like what can do, what cannot do, what can uh, like allow players to in the economy, what cannot allow the players to in the economy. So that they have very nuanced uh, like terms and nuanced requirements in each of the uh, like system of economy. For example, if there's an auction house like they will have very, very, very detailed uh, design. For example, like when you when you list the item, there's 30 minutes can only show, but uh, people cannot buy or bet on these items, for example, like this. So they have very detailed and nuanced design for this stuff, just in case uh, some like uh, 
grinder and gold farmers to initially to to grind this stuff or uh, trying to earn and exploit from the economy. They have a lot of detailed design to uh, to to uh, prohibit this. Chinese gamers are maybe synonymous with like uh, World of Warcraft gold farming, and I'm curious if Chinese developers take a different stance. Uh, or maybe use leverage different mechanics compared to games like World of Warcraft in order to, you know, better prohibit some of this player behavior. Yeah, I think they do have a lot of details, and uh, they have more details than Korean game because they they all say like Korean game or or Korean MMO game, and is then uh, MMO game like World of Warcraft. Uh, were like grinded very hard, very hard by grand farmers. So they definitely have a lot of uh, designs to pre- prohibit this. Real quick before we move on from this, I'm curious: Are there any like public games that have you know interesting economies that you think maybe took some of these learnings that you said are, are pretty well mm-hmm. known, and then they've started to layer on top some additional, maybe more innovative monetization features? Talking specifically mm-hmm. about about games that, that use blockchain. Or yeah, I think I think Gas Hero is one of them. I think Gas Hero is super interesting. Uh, it developed by uh, Stepan Team. This is their second game, and the uh, Matrix designer is actually coming from Natis, and uh, who really uh, working with Western War Fantasy before. So he really combines the know how of how to build a gotcha monetization mobile game and how to build a half open economy MMO game. And the third one is the experience they learned from Stepan, how to build a blockchain game or Web3 game. I think uh, in the uh, in-game design of Gas Hero, they combine these three parts very well. And they basically built a pyramid of uh, like social classes of the game. And for example, in the lower classes, players can just uh, play PVE and earn some shards and combine uh, and craft these shards into into NFT traded can be traded on marketplace and they can basically earn the APY like 30% from just the trading these pieces in an NFT marketplace and for upper classes players because what they what they saw in Stepan is that there are actually a lot of well, no matter they're from Western country or just Japan and China, they are very willing to spend a lot of money in games. So the ARP is uh, a lot of, a lot higher than Web two game. They have to build the content specifically for wells in Web three, and they design the upper classes like um, people like they're. Different classes like clan, uh, guild, city, district, and the ward itself. Uh, and when uh, players are uh, getting higher and higher level, and they're thinking about how to be the leader of a guild, li- the leader of a city, and the leader of um, a district. And at that time, uh, uh, guest hero will distribute or give their salary if they can really, uh, like, grind very harsh to get to that position to be the leader. So the salary is coming from all the transaction fee from auction house and marketplace. 
basically, uh, it's an economy like there are a lot of uh, grinders or gold farmers to play NFT marketplace in the lower classes. And on the upper classes, people who want to chase authority and glory to want to be the leader of a city, they also can earn a lot from this salary. And the salary is from taxation. It's really like a real society in the world. So I guess that just about wraps it up. Um, thank you very much, Aiko, for your time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. It, it was super nice chatting with you guys. Of course. Thanks cool, for coming. Yeah. Till next time. Till next time. See ya. See ya. The content of this video is intended for informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. The views shared by Alex and I are our own, and we may hold investments in some of the companies or digital assets featured in the video.